Welcome to How My Country Works with your host, Stephen O'Shea, the podcast that rummages around the hoarder's basement of the global political system and pulls out the insightful gems hidden way at the back. Each episode, we'll be working alphabetically through different countries' politics so you can show off to your friends and maybe gain a slightly better understanding of just how those countries work. Next up, right at the top of North Africa, and with a population of 43 million, and functioning as a presidential democracy, is Algeria. The Arab Spring in 2010, and even a stroke in 2013, couldn't bring down the president of Algeria, Abdelaziz Bouteflika. The powerful leader had governed the country since the end of a bloody civil war in 2002. However, on the 2nd of April 2019, the then 82-year-old president signed a letter of resignation and officially left office. The ageing independence fighter had finally been brought down by huge unrest and street protests that had crippled the country and been launched in response to him seeking a fifth term, despite the fact that he had barely uttered a sentence in public in years. He has now been replaced by Abdelmajid Tebboune, another member of the governing elite, who aims to turn the page on his predecessor. But how did Algeria arrive at this point, and where is the country now? In order to dive a little bit deeper into this and the broader setup of Algeria, I'm joined on the show by Muriam Haller-Davis, assistant professor at the University of Santa Cruz and co-editor of North Africa and the Making of Europe, Governance, Institutions and Culture. Muriam, welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. As with many of the countries we're investigating in this series, the Ottoman Empire was a huge presence in Algeria. But the formation of the modern state really seems to begin with colonization by France in 1848. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, that's a, a great and huge question. Um, the first thing that I always, you know, is always important to bring up is that technically Algeria was not a colony. Uh, so this is kind of paradoxical, paradoxical, but Algeria was technically three French departments. So it was part and parcel of France in the same way that, I don't know, Hawaii, we think of, you know, as, as part of the U.S. Um, so that meant it was a very intimate relationship between France and Algeria. You know, Algeria was not like Morocco. It was not like Tunisia. It was not like West Africa. It was, you know, this kind of integral part of France. The French conquest, uh, first of all, is, is incredibly physically violent uh, in terms of, you know, the first decades of quelling unrest, which really goes on until the 1870s. But everything from language to culture to the economy to the legal system gets uh, really obliterated and then remade by the French. So it's an incredibly violent form of colonization um, that occurs. And, you know, the results of that are one that Algeria is very fractured. You know, when, when people are trying to come up with an Algerian national identity after independence, as all countries, you know, have to kind of invent, okay, who, you know, if we were colonized, who are we now? Um, and of course, that comes with superficial things, a flag, an anthem, but it also comes with a question of what is our national identity? And that had been so repressed under French colonialism that the notion uh, that you know, that Algeria is an Arabo-Muslim country, which is the response that, you know, we are all Arabo-Muslim, effectively sweeps under the rug a lot of diversity and a lot of questions about language and identity that are still at play today. So Algeria was really closely tied to France then? 
Yeah, exactly. So it's th it's three French departments in the same way that mainland France is formed of departments. So, of course, you know, the land becomes completely French. That doesn't mean the people living there get French citizenship, right? This is the question. If you're going to colonize a territory, but you don't really want these people voting in the National Assembly or having a stake in the way politics are done, because that would undermine the foundations of the colonial enterprise. So there's a kind of a very difficult um, navigation of what it means to have a territory be part of France, but have the people uh, be given the status of subjects rather than citizens. So they're French nationals in that they come under the fold of uh, France, but they don't have full political rights. Uh, and that doesn't start to change until 1919. And then uh, they don't get full citizenship until 1958. So given the two countries were tied so closely together, what was life like under French rule for the average Algerian? That's a great question. Um, you know, the question of the average Algerian is also hard, but certainly, um, you know, the Algerian Arabic language was very much marginalized. You know, most of the schools and press uh, occurred in French. So um, that was a big part of the deculture, deculturation um, or deracination under empire. And then also, you know, social spaces, of course, there was some mixity and moments of contact, but it was, you know, uh, Franz Fanon writes about this in his work about the Menichian character of settler colonialism, that there are these kind of, there's a European space and a, and a Algerian native space, um, and that the two look very different um, and social contact uh, is, is quite limited. So was it really the world wars that brought the beginning of the end to French colonialism in Algeria? Yeah, the, the Second World War is definitely a turning point, um, as is the First World War. And as you can imagine, you know, so there are a lot of colonial troops that serve in these two world wars that we don't talk about that often, and particularly from North Africa. Uh, and there are different reasons that North Africans decided to go fight for France. Some really believed in this project of you know, universalism, equality, fraternity. And so you can imagine their deception when they go fight in these wars. You know, many people die. Often they're used as shock troops and they don't get, forget about citizenship. They don't get any economic benefits, really. Um, you know, there's, there's, there are some measures to um, help veterans of the war have kind of uh, be a special category that can have access to citizenship, but there's no, you know, blanket naturalization of North Africans. So there's a real bitterness uh, among nationalists who already at the turn of the century were starting to ask for uh, more reforms, but more reforms in the context of the French Empire. So better access to education, economic development. Um, right? They they wanted the um, a, a big question for many people was how to roll back the native code. So there was a, a series of laws that were only applicable for the Algerian native population. So all of these discriminate, the Arab, there were tax, taxation structures that were unequal. So all of these things that they felt were unjust, they had been asking um, for, for, it to, for them to be reformed. And when, the, and when that doesn't happen, and they, they fight in two world wars, um, this is just 
you know, more than they can take. Um, even those really committed to France's principles of universalism, you know, liberty, equality, fraternity, um, they, they soon say, well, this clearly isn't for us because we've been asking them on their own terms, using their own language to, to give us more rights, and they're not. So you know, this is the moment where a lot of people who before um, were really in the reformist camp say, no, you know, actually, we need, we need our own nation state and start to agitate um, for a separate Algerian nation state that's not in federation with France. So Algeria and France really were tied together very closely then, even more so than many other colonized nations. I don't think people appreciate how tightly these two countries' histories are intertwined. Yeah, I, I absolutely think there is uh, an effective emotional tie that is very intimate. The French philosopher, who also has an Algerian chapter, um, Etienne Bellibach, says that you know France and Algeria are not two countries, but one and a half countries. And of course, that's not to to say that you know Algeria is still France or to to excuse colonialism, but there is a kind of tie. Um, that is hard to is hard to break emotionally i think so algeria is finally freed from french rule in 1962 after the war of independence and becomes governed by the independence forces of the fln but their mismanagement and misrule leads to a civil war in 1991 known as the dirty war in which an estimated 200,000 people die how does it end up there yeah i mean absolutely there is a number of um kind of important moments in Algerian political history after independence. Um, you know, in October 1988, there are uh, enormous protests asking for a multi-party system. The political party that wins the war, the National Liberation Front, goes on to introduce a one-party state, more or less. Uh, and so this starts to be questioned by, by people in 1988, and that opens up the political uh, landscape for a plurality of, of parties. Um, and indeed, when it looks like the Islamic party, the Islamist party is going to win the elections, this is what kicks off the Algerian civil war um, in, at the end of 1991. Despite the civil war and unrest, one man that we touched on in the intro to this episode has pretty much been in charge during this whole period. Can you tell me a little bit more about Bouteflika? Yeah, I mean... Bouteflika is, a, is an interesting figure. Um, you know, first of all, it, it's always hard to, to remember this because he's been around so long and he's had severe health problems. So when we think about him now, we tend to think about him, you know, after his stroke in a wheelchair. He hasn't given a public speech uh, in many years now. And it's, imp it's I think it's important in understanding why he was able to hang on to power so long that he has credibility from the War of Independence. And in Algeria, you know, fighting in the War of Independence against the French is kind of a political carte blanche, right? That's how you get credibility. You say, you know, I, you know, I was a revolutionary and Bouteflika was very young. Um, he had a lot of contacts with the outside world. Uh, and, and, you know, he comes to power with this notion of reconciliation in the early 2000s. And then kind of just hangs on to power. And it's finally his announcement that he's running for a fifth mandate when, again, he's he's not been seen in public. You know, they, they call him the mummy. He's kind of this almost um, grotesque figure who cannot speak and is this, uh, you know, the question is who's pulling the strings of the mummy, of course, because 
you know, he does not seem to be uh, have the capacity to really rule a country. So it's finally the announcement of his fifth mandate that makes people say, you know, enough of, is enough. We've gone on with this um, for the fourth mandate, which was already quite tense. Um, but the fifth mandate is just too much. And it's, it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Uh, in the sense of unleashing these protests. And so after Bouteflika resigns, Tebboune becomes the leader of Algeria and is now the president that is directly elected to five-year terms and is both the head of state and commander to the armed forces, similar to the US president, though doesn't suffer from the same term limits. And that's who's still in power today, right? Yeah, um, Tebboune is is slightly younger um, I believe he's born in 1945, so you know he was he was a bit too young um, to serve in the war. But he comes from the same kind of national elite. He he's from the National School of Administration, which is one of the places where you know Algerian technocrats are trained. Um, he's prime minister and, and minister under Bouteflika, so he's certainly part of um, you know he's part of the clan or the the Bouteflika network, if you will. Um, he is appointed um, to, to, to be prime minister in 2017 by Bouteflika. So, um, you know, there's been a lot of shuffling of these positions, but uh, he is certainly from the same. They, they did not look far in finding a new figure uh, to, to take over. Well, as you may know, we try and finish every episode by asking our guests what a unique holiday or festival or event is from each particular country. Can you provide the one for Algeria? Sure. Um, the, the one that I think is the most evident for people following Algeria is the beginning of the Algerian Revolution on the 1st of November 1954. And it's interesting because one of the claims of revolutions is that, you know, time starts afresh, that that this is date, you know, the year one of the revolution. This goes back to the French Revolution, of course, but there is really a notion that Algerian history begins on the 1st of November, 1954. Now, like many revolutionary myths, this is not historically, people did not wake up on the 1st of November and say, oh, look, we've entered a new era. (laughs) They woke up and said, oh, there have been some attacks and we don't exactly know what's happening, uh, perhaps there's some pamphlets we could read, right? It's not evident on the 1st of November that this is going to usher in a revolution. But I think it's very telling about the way these events become structuring political myths and practices for people who um, who live in their wake. And, you know, all countries have these, these events that are, um, are in the popular kind of in popular culture. And, um, you know, when when that event is a, is a revolution, an anti-colonial revolution, it's it leads, I think, to a certain uh, and very interesting legacy about, you know, about, you know, what, what the nation is. Um, and Algeria, you know, to this day, uh, the kind of anti-colonial revolutionary spirit is part and parcel of Algerian political life, even if, of course, the world has changed since the 1960s and the political battles are no longer the same, that notion of uh, a kind of fiercely independent um, nationalist, you know, our resources belong to us, we don't, we won't tolerate neocolonialism, that is, those are structuring images, I think, for uh, Algerian politics. 
Well, I think that's a perfect place to end the show. Thanks so much to my guest, Miriam Haller-Davis. Please do check out her work on Nigeria, North Africa, and the making of Europe, governance, institutions, and culture, and much of the work from the author Albert Camus. Join us next time, where we'll be exploring the micro-state tucked between France and Spain, Andorra. As always, please do rate us on your podcast app and recommend us to any of your friends that have a hankering for political knowledge. Follow us on Instagram for extra insights and facts, and there you can message us around anything else you'd like to know about Algeria or any other country. See you next time, and remember to keep asking how my country works.